Don't talk to me unless it's about this. Welcome to season two, where we are rereading our first loves, the first books we can remember really, really loving. And today we're talking about one of Marie's childhood favorites, A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline. I actually don't know how to say her last name. I think Madeline it's Langle. Langle. Okay. <laughs> there we go. Um, yes, I had never read this. Marie, tell me about your memory of A Wrinkle in Time. You didn't read it and as a kid? No, I had never read it. And remember when you brought it up, at first I thought you were talking about Moby Dick. <laughs> that thing could be more different. That is hilarious. <laughs> I did not remember that either. <laughs> I thank you for reminding me. Um, okay, well, I can I can't wait to hear every, uh, your experience. Uh, mine is funny again. I mean, so we just reread your book. Why am I blanking on this name Bridge of it? To Bridge to Terabithia, and I didn't remember the plot of that one. Other than, like, very sketchy outline of their secret forest fort. Uh, this one, kind of similar. It's sort of, in my mind, um, kind of fantasy elements. I remember there being a fantastical unicorn pegasus thing in space. Like, very, very broad strokes. Um, something about time-space travel. But I think I really love that. And I knew that there was a girl was the protagonist. So mm -hmm. that was kind of my memory. Um, it's funny because the unicorn Pegasus character is throughout the book, but only as that form for such a short period in the book. But it was mm -hmm. really like in my mind, such a big part of the book. Mm -hmm. So. I, I thought that was funny. Um, yeah. Have you seen the movie? No, I haven't. I, I think I looked up the trailer and it just <laughs> cracked me up. The cast. Do you know? Who I I knew that Oprah and Reese Witherspoon were in it, but yeah. And, then and Mindy, Mindy Kaling? Kaling is the third Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's It, Mrs. Which. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay, that's pretty awesome cast for the yeah. characters. Yeah. I would like to watch it now. I think I didn't watch it when it came out because I remember thinking I wanted to reread the book. Mm -hmm. So now that I have, it's fair game. Yeah. Um, tell me about your experience reading it for the first time. Well, I really enjoyed the sci-fi element of it. I don't read a lot of sci-fi Um Usually when I do, I like it, although it depends. I, like, I can't do dystopian in the U.S. specifically. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, it makes me too depressed. Um, it reminded me a lot of, have you read the book Sea of Tranquility? No. It's kind of, kind of a recent book. Um, the author's name is Emily St. John Mandel. And that book had this kind of the same, like, time travel universe travel element to it um and i just really like it it's super interesting to think about um and especially the way they presented it as like not magic but physics like mm -hmm. this really could happen and so i really liked that part um you know it definitely 
I think uh, we're finding the theme of of real like children's literature is just like very simplified. Um, so you don't see like a lot of really deep character development, but that's okay because I get that for those readers like they don't need it. They're just like, oh great, boy, there's a boy, and all of a sudden they like each other. <laughs> like we don't need anymore. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really liked it. I was kind of disappointed in the ending but we can talk more about that later yeah okay i look forward to hearing more about that um yeah i i also don't read a lot of sci-fi as an adult although i do like fantasy and i guess i have read some sci-fi-ish stories but i they, they have to be sort of almost getting close to fantasy for me to be kind of into it um so so this for me, like with the physics element, it was interesting to think about the fact that that was a favorite as a child, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I liked that it seems like a, yeah, a simple way to introduce kids to principles of physics. I mean, obviously in a very, very lightweight, lightweight way. <laughs> They're not really going that deep into how it works, uh, but have some of those the language. And they're showing them the the cool stuff, you know, like science class. I always usually found kind of boring because you're just learning the facts and the details that then create bigger phenomenon. And so I feel like you don't really get people interested unless you talk about the bigger phenomena. Right. Right. Like this is this is how it could could potentially work if we mm-hmm. if our human brains can can figure it out um and and you know i i liked that they the humans were the ones that were struggling the most to both do it and understand how it worked and it was all of these other characters that were from different planets and different solar systems that were kind of um they understood it and could could do it more easily. So I, I thought that was cool how the author did that as well. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I like that too. Well, it reminded me, I think they, they might have kind of made this analogy in the book, but it was also in the movie trailer. They had a scene where she's holding a string and there's like an ant on one end and she's like, how does the ant get across as fast as it can? You know, what if it could like snap together mm-hmm. and just jump there? And in Stranger Things, they gave almost the exact same description when they described going to the, the upside down. Upside down. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a cool moment of like, okay, this stuff has been, you don't have to be totally original to make something amazing. Like this stuff has been done before. People have, I'm sure thousands of books have explained this kind of time travel and they're all, you know, special in their own way. Yeah, it made me want to. I'm looking at when A Wrinkle in Time, when the copyright is, it's the 60s, 62. Um, because I know that Stranger Things borrows a lot from the 80s, but obviously, I was reading books in the 80s as a kid. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, and there's actually in my copy of the book, uh, there's a drawing in the book of the ant on the string and the ant with the string folded oh actually you know i think i had that too it's like the only drawing yeah there's yes there's one drawing in the whole book 
<laughs> it's that and um then on the next page uh that when oh, they're talking yeah. about the different dimensions and mm-hmm. there's a they draw a square as a flat square would be the second yeah. dimension and uh-huh. then they draw the the cube for the uh third dimension uh i think or fourth whatever um those are the only images in the whole book uh yeah <laughs> uh just and and that's how they're describing the physics and the science yeah so well i went and i um the first time i checked the the date the book was written is there was a scene by the time they got from the other worlds where they described this like electric motor-powered bicycle (laughs) it was like Okay, this book must be really old if an e-bike is, like, this crazy that it's in another solar system. I was sitting next to Mac, and I was like, I think my book just described an e-bike. <laughs> I had the same moment with that e-bike. I, yeah, the paper boy on the, uh, in the alternate yes. universe is driving, a, a, you know, it's not a motorcycle, but it's not a bicycle. And I'm like, <laughs> I've driven one of those. And then I was going to ask you, what were some of your favorite parts of these other worlds or characters? Yeah. Um, big favorite is Aunt Beast. Yes. Uh, I can't believe I didn't remember that character because it's so lovely. Um, we should all have have an Aunt Beast in our lives. Um, and I'm trying to image i have of it is um kind of like cousin it uh, but also with have you ever seen the sesame street characters that say yep 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 i'm gonna google them right now okay uh uh uh-huh i think they're sesame street yeah yeah it's like those two things combined Mm. for me i was i was picturing something kind of like those yep yep people but like with more tentacles Right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was that was a favorite and obviously the Pegasus as well. But uh I lo- you know, I think Aunt Beast was my number one. What about you? Yeah, she definitely stood out to me. I re- and just her whole I don't know if they had a name for her people, um, but mm-hmm. You know, I loved the way that when they first got there, they were scared of them. And the other creatures asked, you know, well, what would you do if we showed up on your planet? And mm-hmm. they said, we'd shoot you. Um, and it was such a, just a good, like, reflective moment. Yeah. And the way that she described their world without sight, how uh, just the, the terms that she used and the way that it made then... Um, Gosh, what's the main character's Meg. name? Meg. Uh, the way it made Meg think about her world. Yeah, that was that was definitely a highlight. I think also, well, the bummer to me was that I really couldn't keep the three Mrs. W's straight. So uh-huh. I can't say which was my favorite because I don't remember who's doing what. Um, but I did really like when we find out that the one of them used to be a star yes that was just a great little i think that's what's it i think that's mrs what's it is the one that's kind of 
the most fully formed that they interact with the most from the beginning. The one, I think that's the one that shows up at their house. Okay. And is then the Pegasus and was the star. Yeah. And that was a really sweet part of the book. Um, and I, I think I'm trying to think if there were any other characters that we encountered, uh, or worlds. I don't think so. Yeah. It's kind of simple, right? It's like they, they go to, um, the first planet where they kind of, it's, it's quite lovely and where they're able to see everything uh the the big black dark blob from afar and there's that really cool scene actually one of my favorite parts was when they're riding the pegasus mrs what's it up high into the atmosphere and they pluck these flowers that mm-hmm. they use as oxygen masks when they're up in the high uh you know stratosphere whatever and there's less yeah. oxygen that was such a such a beautiful scene uh to me and then they go to the the planet with the the dark the dark blob that has taken over which you know no one wants to be there obviously <laughs> and then they go to the aunt beast planet and then they're back home right so it's kind of a quick trip through through space <laughs> yeah well, thinking about the the characters, it made me look at, did your book have this uh, cast of characters chart in the beginning? Let me look. I don't remember a cast Mine of characters chart. Family tree. Mine's like a, a 50th anniversary edition. Uh, and so it uh, it gives a family tree of the Murrays. And then I guess in, in Madeleine uh, Langle's books, she kept writing books about the same like families and the families expand and you know i see here like calvin and meg are gonna have like a lot of kids a lot of children do you see this now wow i see it now it's at the back of my book um and that's just fascinating i didn't realize that this kind of was just the opening up of a whole world of people right yeah i i didn't remember or know maybe even that it was a series and this is the first of four I never read the other four. And to be honest, I think it's such a, it really closes the tale for me um, that I don't feel like I need to keep reading. Um, It is interesting that it, for being a series, it doesn't feel like it ends on a total cliff note. No. It's like a completed story. Yeah. It seems like maybe it was so beloved that she went back for more with the same characters. Yeah. Um, and I read in the afterward in my book that she had submitted it so many times and gotten so many rejections, I think 26 or 27, that she finally had her agent. She said, send me the manuscript back because at that point in time, it was um, hard copy. Oh. And then had someone reach out to her and say, send it to me. I want to see... I want to see it. And they published it. And it went on to win the Newbery Medal. Wow. Yeah. Uh, which, yeah, I, I like that about, about it, too. <laughs> it almost wasn't published. It's 
crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So I, I one of the things that I noticed throughout, and maybe this wasn't subtle, maybe it was strong, <laughs> was there were these, but it also felt disjointed. There were some like almost biblical texts or or quotes uh from the Mrs. W's. The like when they were giving the children when they go to the planets, for those who don't remember anything about the story, when the Mrs. W's are sending the children off to to rescue Meg's father from the dark evil blob, um, they can't go with them. And so they're giving each of them this sort of gift before they depart. And. Both times there's this like passage of biblical text kind of out of nowhere. The first one was they said to Calvin. And the second time it was to Meg before she goes back to rescue her brother who got left behind by accident. And I just I don't know. Did you pick up on that? Was it just me? I don't know. It, it just felt so wild and out of place. I think there was one of those that I picked up on from, and there was also the, you know, the one Mrs. W who was always quoting stuff. Um, so I maybe noticed one. I don't think I noticed it too much. Was there also a moment when Mr. Murray said something about, I feel like there might've been a quote in there about, you know, the goodness of the earth and like following God's plan or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember also being very confused about that also you know and obviously you can be a physicist and believe in god or something um but i just hadn't gotten that vibe yet <laughs> yeah so it when it did show up it did jump out a little bit um what's interesting to think is that probably at that time that kind of stuff didn't stand out at all maybe yeah maybe i it it was this moment where um and it's been a long time since I've read The Lion and the Witch of the Wardrobe as well. But it was like the moment that I found out that that was a Christian story. I was I like, don't think I knew what? <laughs> I didn't know that until this moment. <laughs> um, yeah. So check that out. Do a quick Google on that. Because uh, <laughs> that that that's true. And um. And yeah, it was kind of that moment for me in this book where I was like, wait, is this also some sort of Christianity metaphor? Let's do a quick a wrinkle in time Christianity. Mm, it's deeply informed by its author's Episcopal Christianity. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a couple of Bible verses in here. Quote from Corinthians, God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And honestly, I just, um, I was raised a Christian. I don't go to church anymore. I don't really know Bible verses. I, I just didn't feel like, I felt like you could have just not even read those quotes and like it would have, it had no impact on the story for me. Yeah, I agree. And also they... Maybe this is just my inability to understand certain quotes, but like they were kind of confusing. Like that quote takes a lot to think about. And I can only imagine 
that my 10 year old brain would have less capacity to yeah. try to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, apparently, A Wrinkle in Time has been a banned book. Criticized both for being too religious and for not being religious enough. Very interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, Contraband. Yeah, here we are. Um, yeah, dangerous tale. Dangerous tale. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess from there, like, what did you... What did you feel like was the the overall theme? What were we kind of supposed to be taking away from the story? Yeah, well, it took me a while to get there because, you know, first we just find out this this black blackness is the black light is like over the the planet. And but we didn't know what was bad about it. And I remember thinking, like, I sure hope they're going to get more specific than just like it's evil. Uh-huh. <laughs> um and then I was, you know, and I see why she left it a cliffhanger, because when they get to the planet, you're waiting to see, like, what's so bad about this place. Um, and to me, it was the book was about, I guess, trying to come to terms with it being OK that life is hard and that we don't always know what we want to do or who we are, because the alternative of having every decision made for you is that darkness and is mm-hmm. not what we mm-hmm. want. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. What did you think of as the theme? Yeah, it took me a while. I mean, I think there's, yeah, I mean, that feels so simple. It's like, um, like she's almost sort of obvious about it in that moment. But I, I think, I mean, thinking about the time period too, the 60s, it's like, okay, communism is a thing then, which the the planet that they go to where the dark thing has taken over is like, everybody has to be the same. And there are these lines mm-hmm. in it where mm-hmm. where she, where Meg says, Meg realizes, <clears throat> like everything being equal. I forget what the line is. You know where there's oh. that moment with her father where she's realizing, yes. like, equal and fair, equal and fair are not the same. Or, was that it? I think it was something kind of more vague. Um, let's see if we yeah. Can find it. Yeah, yeah, we should. should. So there's something there where it's like, okay, is that sort of what she was looking at is sort of the autism thing? It also could be religious, right? Where it's like um, fighting against, yeah, the darkness, the evil, um, looking for for the light, um, you know, God, all of these biblical quotes. I I like there's the there's this thing right before Meg goes back to save her brother where they're trying to explain um how how the medium that they've they saw can kind of see what might be possible in the future but can't predict, you know, mm-hmm. as in like isn't truly psychic, can't can't tell you what's going to happen and and they they compare life to um sonnet oh right um and that they're you know it's a strict form of poetry there are 14 lines iambic pentameter very strict rhythm or meter every line has to end with a rigid rhyme pattern and if the poet doesn't do it this way it's not a sonnet 
But within the form, the poet can say whatever they want. And so they're kind of comparing life to that, you know, Mm -hmm. which I thought was an interesting metaphor. Um, Yeah, that we're our lives are given a form, but we we are writing the, the sonnet. I felt like that was a kind of a, a statement that the author was making there. Mm-hmm. And I like that that's, it makes the, going off the theme I was feeling of, uh, yeah, there's a spectrum of not making any decisions to making all your decisions. She's actually saying the middle is, is the mm-hmm. place to be. And mm-hmm. it, it's interesting to think about this in the context of people maybe going into their teenage years when you want to have all the decision-making power and you don't like Mm. having restrictions, but you need to have some kind of structure. And I think we've both felt this of, you know, like when you have too little structure, it can be really debilitating. Yeah. And, and, you know, we've talked about it mostly probably in the context of jobs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great point. And the other thing I noticed that's in the book that kind of applies to this is there she goes through this whole arc meg of you know they're there to rescue her father they rescue her father then her father is unable to rescue her brother from this evil and mm-hmm. meg gets so angry at him you know i came here to rescue him so that he could save us and he can't do it and i'm mad at him and then she goes through this whole arc where she comes to oh it's me that has to do it. And my dad can't come and my friend can't come. I have to go and do this myself, even though it's hard. And even though I'm like not happy about that. Uh, and I think it's an interesting, you know, moment where I, that I think a lot of young people can relate to of this transition from kind of childhood where you think or hope that your parents can save you or take care of you or do the hard stuff, you know? And, um, and then you realize it's, yeah, it's on you. Well, we missed the opportunity last episode, but this is a great time to bring back the Taylor Swift quote. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yes. You're on your own kid. You always have been. Yeah. Yeah. What song? You're on your own, kid. <laughs> what album? Uh, Midnight's. Midnight's. I didn't remember yeah. that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's obviously, it's a beautiful song. And it goes through a very similar journey of mm. uh, the song talks about, yeah, going through all this relying on other people, wanting things from other people, realizing you're maybe not as special as you thought you were getting other people to help you and then coming and like feeling on your own is a bad thing. And then by the end of the song, it's like, you're on your own kid. You know, you can face this. Yeah. You got this. And there, that was what Meg had. Yeah. That's so right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like what you wrote in the notes about, um, you know, that evil is having every decision made for you and that the good life is kind of, living a more messy life and being true to who you are, even with your flaws. 
uh, I think that's another great message that one could take away from the book as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I could really relate to Meg, and not necessarily on these in the external way. Um, you know, I wasn't a bad student or something like that in school, mm-hmm. but I feel like I had the same inner landscape as her of just feeling like you're bad or there's something wrong or uh, noticing, you know, how you fit into this like social structure and that you don't feel like you belong where you want to. And so I feel like for her, she really needed to be okay with who she was and the fact that life was hard and that she was different. Her brother, who she loved so much, was different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and the book was, you know, they, they, the, what the, the Mrs. W said to her, you know, you need to use your, uh, your flaws to help you. And yeah. I think that was, I'm trying to remember what she did. She, I think she used her impatience, her stubbornness to uh-huh. like, uh, you know, not get hypnotized. What else came up in that way? Yeah, it was her impatience, her stubbornness, and I think her anger, frustration, mm. um, were the things. But the but the final uh, message was her love, her how much she loved her family and loved her brother, mm-hmm. um, was what ultimately saved them. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me why you didn't like the ending. Okay. I just didn't like how fast the Meg part with the evil brain thing went. I mm. was ready for like a couple chapters of Meg, you know, having a couple experiences of like this thing going wrong and then this thing going wrong and then this thing as you know, she's got hope again and like. I was ready for this whole journey that she was going to take on her own. And then I feel like in two pages, it was over. <laughs> um, and I almost would have rather cut out earlier parts of the book and have had Meg be like, have had more happen there. Cause I feel like that was, that was the part where she was supposed to be growing. And to me, it just happened so quickly. And like when all of a sudden the answer of love came, I wasn't ready for her to like already be at the right answer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so I, it just went too fast for me. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Um, although I do think part of the journey for her was like preceded that. Yeah. So, yeah. She definitely had already grown a lot. <laughs> yeah. In the frustration because she failed at or almost failed at beating the the darkness the first time and then was super angry at her dad and went through this whole process there so that by the time she was ready to go back i mean even just realizing that she had to go back on her own was Mm -hmm. that shift uh but i i get it when they when they were just so immediately in their backyard and their whole family was there it it really felt fast. I I yeah. thought they were at least going to go back, say goodbye to Aunt Beast, like do a whole, you know, maybe a time travel lesson <laughs> to get home, something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it just felt like 
you're right. She walked through the town. She's like, what is the answer? What is the answer? Oh, I got it. And we're done. Um, I think I maybe also don't love the story coming down to like, you just have to do it on your own because mm. there definitely are a lot of things in life that like, yeah, at the end of the day, you need to be the one to make it happen. But I also feel like so little, I would, you know, potentially even nothing happens in isolation like that. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of wanted it to be this like team effort. And, you know, when they first went there together, the Mrs. W's kept talking about, you've got to stay together, your group. Mm -hmm. And I, so I didn't like it when it was like, oh, Meg has to go by herself. Yeah. Yeah. Just kidding. It's, uh, yeah, we said stay together, but actually it was always Meg. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get that. I get that. Yeah. The ending. Yeah. It felt a little bit. It was weaker than the rest. And also, I think you talked about the Calvin kissing her. Which they hint at the attraction between them, but also felt so weird to me in that moment. Because isn't her dad there? And yes. I, I don't know. I just can't picture a teen doing that. It also, there was, it's funny because there was a few kisses between characters. Like, didn't they all go kiss Mrs. W or Aunt Beast? Or like, they, they kissed someone. Oh, um, yeah. Charles did. I think oh, this okay. is what's it. Yeah. Um, and I remember being like, in all of these, she's not differentiating like a kiss on the cheek from a kiss on the lips. And That's like, true. To put them all in there together, I would have been, yeah, good with like a kiss on the cheek from Calvin. That would have felt like realistic and okay. Yeah. Agreed. Totally agreed. And the smitten crush feeling would have been translated. Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Because I think she's 14. I don't know. I just felt weird. Um, yeah. Anything else that we haven't talked about? Uh, I don't think so for me. Was there anything that stuck out for you as like that didn't age well or that was even better your second time reading it? Yeah, I that mean, we haven't already covered. Yeah, no, I I think it, it reading true YA literature as an adult is a trip because you remember it as being these fully formed stories, and I, we talked about this a little bit with Bridge to Terabithia too, and it's so simple when you're reading it as a grown adult, mm -hmm. and so. <laughs> I think I was hoping for more from it, you know, again, it's like I didn't it's not really making me feel or think too much. But I did. I do have to say once once they got into outer space, I was feeling the story. I was like, oh, this is compelling to me. I, li I like this is fun, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I like having more substance to to what I read typically. Uh, yeah. And it made me, yeah, it's kind of like, oh, I've come, I've come a long way as a reader. <laughs> I've gotten a lot needier. <laughs> but I can't wait to give this book to my 10-year-old niece, you know, and yes. have her experience it and see if she's into it or not. That would be very interesting to, to know what it lands, how it lands with someone that age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found, before we wrap up talking about A Wrinkle in Time, I found the quote. 
uh, that Meg said. She said, like and equal are not the same thing at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Because, yeah, there's a few profound moments mm-hmm. in the in the book. She's, yeah, she's not wrong. <laughs> Uh, and we were going to yeah. finish with some of our obsessions um, yes. of recapping on the last ones that we talked about. And I think we both had some things that we were in progress with. Um, and the last time you talked about my grandmother's hands and Vladimir, were either mm-hmm. of those in progress or you'd finish them both? Vladimir I had finished a while back, but my grandmother's hands I just finished because I was taking my time with it. So, um, yeah, still recommend still loved it um i have two other books that i read recently that i don't think we've talked about that i would recommend mm-hmm. one of them is called piranesi and it's spelled p-i-r-a-n-e-s-i and it's kind of in the sci-fi fantasy i'd say more sci-fi e world um i don't want to give too much away but it because I think the beauty of the story is that you don't know what's going on. But mm-hmm. what I will say is there is a protagonist who is in a world that is unlike ours. Um, and he is trying to understand that world. And you you kind of are realizing over time it is an adjacent world to planet Earth that we are used to. Um, but I won't say anything more than that because, like I said, I think the beauty of the story is that the way it's written, you are figuring out what's happening alongside the narrator. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Uh, yes. And then the other one that I loved recently, totally different in every way, is a (laughs) book called One True Loves. And I think... Let me Google who the author is. I think it's the same person who wrote Daisy Jones and the Six. And uh, her name is Taylor Jenkins Reid. I think also wrote, she has a couple of of books out. And I think it's going to be a show or a movie. Um, The plot is that the lead character named Emma believes well her husband uh who is her high school sweetheart is believed to be dead in a plane crash and then she uh begins a relationship with someone else that she knew in high school that she reconnects with and then it turns out that her um husband was actually lost at sea for like two to three years and he comes back and that happens all at the beginning so i'm not giving anything away but it's an interesting story about sort of what love, romantic love, true love means. Um, it's kind of similar to some of the stories that we read uh, with conversations with friends and other things like that. It's it's sort of you're more in the head of the protagonist yeah. as they're working out some really intense emotions like grief and how grief can change you and what love is and means and how it changes. And I, I, it resonated with me a lot because I just like those books that explored those types of topics. It's set in modern day. It's 
you know, I used to live in Massachusetts. It's in Massachusetts. So, you know, it was yeah. interesting to me. That sounds really interesting. And I just read the, like the book jacket description. Um, so I'm assuming this is not a spoiler because it's on the book jacket that when she realizes her husband is alive, he's also engaged to someone. Oh, no, no. She's engaged. He is not. He is was lost on a desert island vibe. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I see. I misread, like, I took a, mixed up a period in a comma. Okay, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. That is very key. Yeah, he's, he must <laughs> so be engaged to a shark that he met uh, <laughs> while uh, living on a rock in the middle of the South Pacific. Uh, <laughs> yeah, It's a really no. different story. It's very different. It's a very different story. <laughs> yes, recommend, recommend both, uh, actually. Uh, yeah, highly. What about you? Okay. Well, last time we talked, I was in the middle of reading a book called To Paradise by Hanya Yanigihara, mm -hmm. and I was into it until it was going really slow for me in the middle. It was a super long book, and it had, it had three parts, and the friend who recommended it to me, I said, like, listen, I don't know if I can do this, and she was like, honestly, just skip the rest of part two and go to part three. Like, it picks up again, and it's fine. You can miss it. And then I go to part three, and part three is total U.S. dystopia. Like, so... Mm. And that's when I totally confirmed for myself that, like, this has happened multiple times now where I stop books that are like that. <laughs> yeah. So I shut it down. Very glad I did not keep reading it. Um, I've well been done. A bit of, I've been in a little bit of a book rut because then... The main book I read after that was this book called The Idiot by Alif Batuman, and I was loving it at first, like loving it. It it really reminds me of Sally Rooney. It's set in college times. It's a very intellectual main character, um, and she's really funny and dry and, you know, also like a mess in the world. Um, and but then I feel like kind of nothing happened in I didn't see a lot of growth for the main character throughout mm. the rest of the book. And it also was kind of a long book. Um, and it's interesting because I was talking with the friend who recommended it. And like, I feel such, I feel so torn between, um, I want, I like stories where I see growth in a character and I see change. Um, but also in a lot of books, they don't actually cover that much time. You know, this book was probably yeah. six or eight months. And most of us don't change that much in that amount of time. It takes like years. That's right. And I'm finding this challenge as I'm writing right now that um, I got advice from one of my writing teachers. I was to really shorten the time span of my book. You know, I was originally writing about like four years of time. And she was like, bring it down to a year, a year and a half. Like it's much more captivating to the reader. And I think hmm. that is it's been really helpful advice. Um, I think it's good. But then it's I'm feeling conflicted because I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I want to write a good story, but I also want to write something realistic <laughs> of mm -hmm. how much someone can change. And I don't know what I'm going to do about that conflict yet. Yeah. Well, you should read One True Loves because I actually think that it spans, I mean, from high school to 30 or 31 in this person's life. And yeah. the time frame in which we're with her in real time, because there's a lot of flashbacks is probably short uh but even still i think it's over a year to two years 
Yeah, and that would definitely, you know, flashbacks will be a key element of, I suppose, through flashbacks you can show growth because you'll see how someone was before. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's made me very interested now in thinking about the books I like and how much time they cover. Obviously, yeah. it's not like you can't do a long period of time, you know. Think about the mothers that covered yeah. many years. Uh, normal people covers four or five years. Um, I do think the more time you cover, like it helps potentially the less main characters you have. And mm -hmm. I'm trying to write a story with like three love interests of the main character, two that are developed pretty in depth, one that's, you know, not as developed. But so, yeah, I feel like there's maybe. There are maybe these, like, if you do this, then you can't do that things. Right. Yeah. Oh, wow. So interesting to think about it from the perspective of writing the story and how you keep the reader engaged. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, any other obsessions? I've been obsessed with knitting. I'm, like, so obsessed. I want to knit all day. I literally have dreams about knitting. Wow. Um, I like watch all these knitting videos on YouTube while I'm knitting and there's like you're watching knitting while you're knitting. Well, and it's not necessarily that they're knitting like just like live streaming themselves knitting, but like knitters who, you know, show you all the stuff they made or like talk about this project they're working on. And now I have all these like I have these like two or three, you know, my YouTube knit ladies. This one woman lives in Finland and I I've been calling her my my Finnish friend, and Mac is like, she is not your friend. She doesn't know you. She could, though. Get up into those comments, okay? I bet she would love to know how much you love her. Um, I actually, I'm going to put this in the show notes. I found her first because she, I, I guess, I, yeah, I just had this video came across that she knit her wedding dress. What? And she knitted herself. She knit it in six weeks. It is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. And she made this 45-minute video about it that was, like, the best feature film I've ever seen. Whoa. This is blowing my mind. Send me I an know. image immediately. I am going to. <laughs> okay, great. So, wow. I'm so obsessed with knitting. I've bought, like, I have, like, six projects either started or like close to being started because I just keep seeing other ideas I want to make or like pretty colors of yarn <laughs> it's going it's going deep this is aligned with your lifestyle <laughs> as a grandmother since I met you when you were 22 uh yep. yeah you've you've stayed true to Maybe yourself been waiting for me all these yeah years. it has <laughs> been it has been I'm so glad it it finally came through <laughs> yeah I think it's also like it's making me realize that maybe I don't just like all this like boring kind of muted color clothing that I have and mm. like maybe that's not you know the first people I started following and like knitting inspiration it was all like beige sweaters you know just like very simple and then I've started seeing people who make like crazy colorful stuff and I'm like oh my god I actually like this stuff and I want to make like Something that's pink. And like, I've probably never worn something that's pink before. And yes. it's been this very fun, like, exploration of my own, like, you know, previously muted or like ignored sense of fashion um, of like, oh, this could maybe be really fun. <laughs> I really want to see you in your bright pink sweater with your hair 
half dyed blonde on one side. <laughs> and I really look forward to this evolution. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm stoked you. you. know, it's going to be like the way Taylor Swift has like eras with her albums. Mm-hmm. Like this is going to be my 30s era. 30s era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But not to be confused, like, what is the 70s era going to be? Who can say <laughs> when we're already knitting? <laughs> At 30. <laughs> At 70, I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. Oh, yes. <laughs> That's my comedian era. <laughs> I love it. Uh, this is also reminding me of uh, Drag Race, which is another obsession. We watch RuPaul's Drag Race in my house, and it's the season finale tonight. One of the finalists is named Mistress and also has eras and is constantly, I mean, the eras change day by day. So <laughs> you're, you're referring to as a, de- a decade as an era. Mistress is sort of, you know, in her villain era or the congenial era, uh, depending on the day or hour. Uh, that so. must be a big closet. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just really what what um, your vibe is for that day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I also need to send you a picture. I got these insane. Did I send you this already? I got these insane, huge silver sneakers from Goodwill and I bedazzled them. Uh-huh. They're going to be part of my Taylor Swift uh, tour outfit, which also includes the sparkly yes. leotard that you've seen yes. and the sparkly cowgirl jacket. Yes. Um, but they're also just going to be like my go-to karaoke and party shoes. And yeah. Yeah. they're pretty amazing. So one could say you're in your handicraft era. Yeah. I'm in my what... like handicraft glitter insane person era. <laughs> Going from muted minimalist to uh, clown maximalist. In the best sense. In the best sense. <laughs> My style is clown maximalism. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, well, this, I'm feeling complete here. I think we yes. did it. A wrinkle I think in time. We did. Wait, wait. Before you go, don't forget, please, to subscribe to the show, leave us a review, sign up for our email newsletter, or support us on Patreon. We so appreciate you being here, and we hope to get to know you more through one of these avenues, so this isn't such a weird, one-way, speaking-into-the-void kind of thing. Anyways, thank you again for listening. 